0: Okay, Boker Tov, so this week we have the privilege of reading not one but two partios, in case you've missed the Parsha over Yantif, we'll uh, catch up over the next two weeks, four Parshios, Tazria and Metzora, which primarily speak of the laws of Tzaras, we're familiar, primarily speak of the individual uh, known as the Metzora. Tazria begins on page 608 in the Stone Chumash, and, um, and the, that's the bulk of both Parshios, the centerpiece is the laws of the Metzora. Metzora conjunction of the words Motsirah, because the most famous reason, which is given for the mitzora of why he is afflicted with a spiritual leprosy, is the lashon hara that he speaks. But the truth is, lashon hara is only one reason which is given. For a Mitzora, and we know it cannot be the only reason because we have examples of children. You have the whole Shaila, those learned the Dafyomi uh, came across this, but the uh, baby who's afflicted with Tsaras, but Makam Mila, a baby who has this leprosy in the place where the bris is supposed to take place. So you have the issue of Asay and losase. You have a positive commandment to do a bris, which we'll see in a moment, and you have a negative commandment, you're not allowed to cut off Tsaras. Which one supersedes the other? I say, I say, positive supersedes the negative. So that baby, tell me, did that baby speak Lashon Hara? That baby resulted in Saras before his eighth day. By the time of his birth, before his eighth day, he already has Saras. Why all the Lashon Hara he spoke in the crib? All the Lashon Hara in the nursery at the hospital? He talked about the other babies? Why so clearly cannot be Hara cannot be the sole cause for the diagnosis of Saras? And the Gemara indeed gives a list of, of a number of, uh, of others. And I would suggest that the core or the root of all of the reasons of Tzaras has to do with narcissism and egocentrality, people who are f- totally consumed by themselves. And therefore, it's not a coincidence that we see throughout our Parshios, Tazriya and Mitzorah, that the rehabilitation of the Mitzorah includes He sits outside the camp. Why? Because alone, in solitude, he can reflect. He can feel what it means to have ostracized and made others feel alone alone he can recognize that the world doesn't revolve around him in alone he could recognize that he was really living alone even when he was among people because he was so focused exclusively only on himself so if you look at all the reasons given for, the, for, for Tsaras it seems what they have in common is this notion of being utterly self-centered so we tell this individual who is self-centered you think the world's all about you, everything revolves around you why don't you go live outside the camp by yourself a little bit, you need to be alone you're in timeout. This is the timeout torah Minayan. Where do we find timeout from the Torah? The mitzora. The mitzora. In fact, the Gemara says he's one of the four individuals who's Khoshiv kemes. He's considered dead even when he's alive, the mitzora. Why? Because that isolation, that alone, that loneliness being lamachana, there's nothing more more painful. Tragically there are many who suffer from this than the loneliness, than intense loneliness. It's a very, very painful thing. So the mitzora understands how he made others feel by being lonely and experiencing it himself, it rehabilitates him. It's mida keneged mida, it's a measure for measure. It reveals to him how he made others feel. So that's the bulk of these two partios. They they deal with the laws of tzaras. Not only tzaras, not only the laws of uh, spiritual leprosy that affect or afflict the individual, but tzaras of the gadim, of clothing. Clothing can sprout this leprosy. And tzaras of batim, homes. Homes can be afflicted. When the home is afflicted, it requires the owner to remove everything from the home. There's a whole process the owner has to go through. And again, while this seems so archaic to us and seems so... We can't relate to it, but there's deep, deep symbolism in all of these laws which the lessons we can draw are are very inspiring. But that's not what I want to focus on today. The laws of the mitzah, the, the Mitzorah and how he rehabilitates himself. He doesn't shave and, he, and then he does shave. With the time period he waits and the mikvah and the karbon and what kind of carbon he brings, the doves, the two doves, and the, we'll, we'll leave all that for another time. What I want to speak about is the beginning of Parshas Tazria. Beginning of Parshas Tazriah, page 608. And here we have the laws of childbirth. The laws of childbirth. By Deber Hashem HaMoshe mor God spoke to Moshe, and He told Moshe to teach. Deber Bnei teach the Jewish people and tell them, of When a woman becomes conceives, becomes pregnant and gives birth to a male, to a boy She becomes impure for a period of seven days as during the days of her nida she shall be contaminated A woman who menstruates becomes a nida she is contaminated Again, just as an aside quickly because I want to correct this terrible misconception This is not at all... Uh, Bias towards women, the idea that women are somehow unclean and we distance ourselves from them and we put them aside that's not at all what the halacha meant, <coughs> it's not at all what the Torah means, the Torah as a principle all, many many explain this all of Tumah derives from the um, from the um, loss of potential being tahor, purity means potential, purity means capacity the ability to grow to improve to change to achieve when that potential is lost it results in tuma the loss of what could have been that's why a deceased a corpse creates tuma because death death negates the possibility of growth at the moment of death one can no longer achieve or grow and what's the result of what's the result of the inability to grow tuma so a corpse is an afa a corpse is a source of tuma A woman who has the capacity to uh, conceive and create a child within her and menstruation is the loss of that capacity, not like many misunderstand. A woman who menstruates does not bleed from the result of the egg. The egg is microscopic. She bleeds because the endometrial lining of her uterus had prepared for the implantation of a fertilized egg. That means to say, I think I shared this in the past, I've always found it remarkable. The woman's body is designed every month to conceive a child. Its expectation is conception. Its expectation is gestation. Its expectation is to house a human being. When it doesn't, it's almost disappointed and sheds the lining that it had been prepared to do. So that shedding of the lining is what creates the menstruation, and that loss of potential of what could have been a child is what creates the status of Tummah. So it's not at all a biased statement about the woman, uh, she's dirty, she's, uh, and so on, but it's a question of potential, and the laws of Tummah apply equally to men and women in different circumstances. Men as well can become Tameh, a Zav, which also the laws we see here, Zav, zava, yolada, and All have to bring the carbon all over So the, the zav is a man who has a seminal emission, which is a form of uh, a disease. I don't know if it's gonorrhea, exactly which disease it is, but it's a seminal emission, which is not purely semen, it's some type of uh, indication of a disease. He also becomes tamay. He's, so, the Torah is not biased towards women in these laws. It's simply, again, the loss of potential. So, a woman conceives, she gives birth to a boy. Seven days she's impure. On the eighth day, what happens? We just sang in Echad Who knows? Eight? Eight of the days Eight of the days of the bris Snip snip or We cut off his foreskin Then she has 30 days Of, uh, of uh, Purity No matter what she sees Nevertheless she has the status of purity And, uh, and after which she has to bring a carbon And if it's a girl If she conceives and gives birth to a girl Then it's twice as much She's two weeks, 14 days, she is, she can't go to the mikvah, uh, and then, uh, sixty. so 33 days and 66 days are the may Tahara, are the days where no matter what she sees, she remains pure nonetheless. That no longer applies to us. I don't know the karbanos, the Baisa the 33, 66 days, but the 7 and 14 days still do apply to us. They apply to us significantly. Now, they don't apply... Full gestation, a woman who gives birth usually can't get to the mikvah before six weeks. Women bleed for a prolonged period after giving birth. You know, there's a lot that needs to uh, cleanse itself. So it usually takes a long time, as much as six weeks to finish bleeding or finish bleeding plus get Shivanakiyim, seven clean days before she can go to the mikveh. But if a woman has, uh, it's a miscarriage early on. I unfortunately get this question, I won't say often, thank God, but often, too often. A woman has a miscarriage and she wants to know, when can I start counting my clean days to be able to go to the mikvah? So, if you know what it was... If it was a boy, then you need seven days. Then you can start the seven clean days and go to the mikveh. If you know it was a girl, you need 14 days before you can count the seven clean days. If you don't know what it was, then you have to be machmir to assume that it might have been a girl, which would require 14 days before you can count the seven clean days. That we derive from here, that the Tumas Yoledas, that a Yoladas, a woman who gives birth, has to wait before she can begin her seven clean days, from the Torah, she doesn't need 7 clean days, she could have gone to the mikvah directly after the 7th day or the 14th day, but we treat this woman also having the rules of a zava, whatever, not for now, and therefore she needs 7 clean days, but she begins counting the 7 clean days, either after 7 days or 14 days after giving birth. I want to look at a few of them before Shem here, and then get to this separate topic, which we still need to get to, and, and hopefully we'll have enough Why time. Why is it more for a girl than a girl? Oh, okay, so let's, we'll, we'll get to it. We'll get to it. Okay, so look at Rashi Ishaqis Azria, Amar of Simlai now, normally, the Mephoshim will try to analyze the sequence. We'll analyze the juxtaposition of our topics. So how did last week's parsha end? Shmini. what was the whole second half of Shmini all about? The laws of kashrus: A kosher versus a non-kosher animal. Interestingly, did the Torah use the term kosher and treif? No. What terms did the Torah use to describe kosher and non-kosher? Kosher. Tahor mm-hmm. and, to- and? Tome. Tome. not tameh. No. Interestingly, uh, and, and not to- Enenu Tahor He uses tahor and non-tahor. Part of the Lushanakia, part of the Torah's the Torah's focus on language, on being positive, on not creating terms which have negative connotations. So it describes kosher food and food this is not kosher. It doesn't call it treif. Torah Tahor So anyway, so here you have in uh, Tazria, Rashi wonders, what's the connection? So we have the laws of Kashrus and they continue now with the laws of childbirth. What does one thing have to do with the other? So Rashi tells us just like when it comes to the creation of the world we have the laws of the creation of the animal kingdom and only on the sixth day after the animals and fowl and creepy crawlies and all the other things are created only then do we have creation of man. So to now we add the laws of animals and now we have the laws of the creation of man. Says so Rashi, we're following the order of Maisa It's a continuation of the order of my sub-recious. And what's the order of my by the way? We go from simple to more advanced. If you look at the order, even of the creation of the animal kingdom, it progresses in its complexity. And who is the highest in the animal kingdom? The human being. And what do some like to point out, by the way? What was created absolutely last, even after man? Woman. Woman was extracted from man. Some like to say she is the pinnacle of creation. Okay. We can argue with that. But anyway, it's debatable. It's debatable. So, uh... So you see that you're progressing in complexity, maybe in sanctity. Certainly, uh, the, the human being is, is the reason for which the world was created. So Rashi says, we follow the order, the sequence of my Barishas here. Um, okay, the Ibn Ezra, writes the Ibn Ezra, Ibn Ezra, Isha shekiz Azria, Ahashe Hishlam, Torah Atar, Vatame, Ben Adam after we went through purity and impurity with food now we talk about purity and impurity with people and we begin with a pregnant woman because pregnancy is where it all begins that's the Ibn Ezra we're not following my separation for the Ibn Ezra it's a question of the laws of Tumavatara. we're going through the laws of purity and impurity so we follow impure animals because what makes a non-kosher animal it's impure impure not in the classic laws of tuma in terms of contact with it but impure in terms of its identity it's an impure animal so then we talk about impurities within people and that begins with conception and we'll talk about and this is the segue into our topic but Ibn Ezra quotes the Gemara which says that if a woman emits seed first we'll explain what that means possibly then she conceives a boy Therefore the Torah begins with a boy He quotes Greek uh, the Greek wisdom which says that the, a woman emits a certain seed as well that a woman emits a, emits a secretion certainly man contributes the sperm but a woman emits a secretion and Zerah HaZachar Makvi V'cholaben Midam HaIsha The boy is determined from the blood of the woman. Now this is actually not true. Scientifically we know that the chromosomes which determine the gender are determined by a man. Some of us were reminded that often. So the gender (laughs) is determined by the, the man the man is the one who's going to determine. Not the woman. The woman doesn't contribute, we'll see possibly a little bit, but contributes very little, if anything, to the sex selection. The gender selection is determined by the man. But the Ibn Ezra is quoting the Greek wisdom. Vineperish tazria, titain zera, ki And that's how it understands. Because why does the Torah use the term, isha ki Sazria"? What do you mean sazriya? She is not, zera is a seed. What what seed, what secretion is the woman contributing? Isha ki Sazria. If a woman contributes... A seed, then the alda Zachar, then she has a boy. So Greek wisdom understood that the woman determines, based on her contribution to conception, she determines the boy. And that will be our launching point to our discussion about gender selection in a moment. Let's just see a few more, a few more, uh, the Rashbam, Rabshmu ben Meir, Rash's grandson, Isha Kisazriya, Kisisaber ben Zacher ben Nekeva. Rashbam disagrees with the Ibn Ezra. Kisazriya is not referring to the alda For the Ibn Ezra, if she's Mazria, then she's definitely going to have a boy. Oh, we'll get to the laws of a girl later when he's mazria. But if she's Mazria, if she has some sort of seed, then it'll be a boy. It says the that, Rashbam, that's not how to read it. The proper way to read it is Isha If a woman conceives dash or semicolon, Zahar, if it's a boy, then Tamashiva Yaman. If it's in a nekeva of 14 days. So the Rashbam sees Isha, Kisa Zriya, not she's Zazriya literally and therefore determining the gender. Kisa means she has received seed. She's conceived. Right? Kisa ben ben Nekeva. Im Zachar teile yedino kach. Im Nekeva teile kachvakachdina. Kolav achar kachmifarsh. We give the general Kisa And then Zahar here's the law. Nekeva, he here's the law. So you see the Rashbam disagrees with the. Ibn Ezra The Balaturim It says Mm -hmm. And then shortly after it says Mm -hmm. Says the Gemara in Shavuos That one has to seek Sanctity even in the moment of intimacy That while we certainly um, Introduce the concepts Of of romance And of physical pleasure into the bedroom Judaism is not a prudish religion we have modesty outside the bedroom, but within the bedroom we encourage romance, we encourage love, we encourage pleasure. But nevertheless, It doesn't mean that all rules are gone. We still do not become base animals. But rather there is a, still a, an aspiration for a level of sanctity during that moment. And the Balaturim says, that's hinted to in the connection between the connection between conception and his Kedashim and sanctity. Okay, continuing. So look at the orachaim The Orachayim, HaKadosh asks a series of questions here, which we're not going to look at, because I want to get to our halachic tangential topic. But the orachaim says, first of all, why is it written? Let's look at the orachaim inside. Where did he go? There he is. Why does it have to say she conceives and gives birth? We don't believe it's possible to give birth without conception.
1: <laughs> right?
0: For the Jewish people, there's no such thing as immaculate conception. <laughs> so, why does it have to say V'yaldah? Why does it have to say Ki sazriye"? It should just say V'yaldah. And vialda will imply Sezriah. V'loh speak lamar, Isha ki it should simply say if a woman gives birth to a boy here is the halacha why does it have to go all the way from the beginning if she conceives and she gives birth and it's a boy just say if a woman gives birth to a boy that's question number one number two lama amar mavadai, shamash amar vlamar imseleid zakhar why does it say kisazriyav alda when she conceives and gives birth tragically we know many conceive one third of pregnancies end in miscarriage one third Many women don't even know that they had a miscarriage because so many of them happened so early on. They think they had a heavy period. But many, many pregnancies, up to one third, end in miscarriage. So why does it say, Isha kisazria Vialda, as if it's definitive? If only you conceive, then surely you will give birth, asks the Orachayim Shari the a And moreover, who says, Isha Kisazriya Vialda zahar"? If you conceive, you have a boy. Who says? Half the people, there's no, there's no surety to a boy more than a girl. I think 51% of the population are boys. So, okay, there's a little bit more, a fraction of a percent of a greater possibility you'll have a boy. But for all intents and purposes, if you conceive, it's a 50 50. You can have a girl, you can have a boy. Why does it sound so sure? Isha Kisazriya, then Vialda Zachar for sure. Furthermore, uh, he asks, why is it in. Lashan Asid, Sazria. Why does it say in the future tense? Isha ki Sazria. In the future Sazria. It should say Isha ki If a woman gives birth to a boy, here is the halacha. Why does it frame the halacha in the future tense? When she will conceive, here will be the law. Why not ki Seleid? When she gives birth, this is the law. After she gave birth, this is the law. Or asks all these questions. He gives answers. We're not going to look at it right now. I want to get to our topic. Okay, so those were a few of the psukim. The Kliyakar also discusses Ish Mazriyat Chila The Kliyakar also talks about this topic. But what, what consumes the beginning of our first parasha, Kisazriya, is the notion of childbirth, is the notion of a conception, and is the subtle, nuanced, but clearly present issue of gender selection. Zachar, Nekeva, different rules. Um, Is the Ibn Ezra correct? The Greek wisdom that the woman influences the choice. So that's the topic I want to look at. Look at your handouts, your source sheets. And uh, if you're listening online, the source sheets should hopefully be there as well. So, gender selection. Are we allowed to influence? Are we allowed to influence uh, the gender? Everyone have a source? Sheet? Anyone have a source? Sheet? Everyone's good. Okay. So look at source number one. Source number one is the Targum Yonasan Ben Azil. The Targum Yonasan Ben the Aramaic translation, which by definition includes a commentary on Torah, in Brachis tells us. Braham and Rachel, Achasei, Tren, Shiftin. Everyone understood? Okay, Jude. Everyone remember the story? Leah and Rachel are both pregnant. Leah does a calculation. Leah understands, based on her nevuah that she has... how many? That the, Yaakov has how many wives? Four. 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 I was lying in bed with my daughter last night, putting her to sleep, my eight-year-old. said, what are you learning in Chumash? Ah, oh, but we're learning in Chumash about Sarai, and she couldn't have a baby, and Avram, she wanted Avram to have a baby, so she had this idea that maybe Avram could have another wife, and from that wife she'll have a baby, and it'll be like it's her baby. And I was waiting for my daughter to say, you can have more than one wife? or like, But she didn't. It's Kuma, she's learning it, and that was, it seemed normal for her. Okay. Baruch Hashem. Anyway, so, so Yaakov uh, has how many wives? God bless him. He has four wives two wives and two concubines concubines also wives but Yaakov has Rachel and Leah and Bil and Zabal so he has four wives and how many Shvatim through prophecy did Leah and Rachel know that they were going to have Yaakov was going to have Yaakov was going to be the progenitor of twelve tribes Rachel had. so if you do the simple math twelve even at this early hour of the morning twelve divided by four is three so what happens Rachel calculates she has hers and she calculates who as what Rachel's not going to have a tribe so they're both pregnant so, so Leah davins that the, that in utero that there be a switch there would be a switch and what ends up happening Leah asks for a switch Rachel has Yosef and Leah has Dina it means to say originally Rachel was pregnant with Dina and Leah was pregnant with Yosef but they davened, davened, and according to the Targum, Jonas and Ben Uziel, there was a switcheroo. There was a switcheroo. Um, I don't know whether I should say this. My mother hates that I suggest this. But you know, Baruch Hashem, I had six girls, I had a son. And two weeks ago, my brother who had four boys just had a daughter. So who knows? I say, you know, who knows? You add to that the fact that for two months we were told that I was having a seventh daughter. And it turned out to be a boy. So who knows? <laughs> who knows? Maybe a Kosh Baruch who performed this miracle. Certainly not my Zchus. My brother's Zchus. He deserves it. But uh, who knows? So Targum ben says, you see it's possible to have a switch in utero. Now, what's the appropriateness of, of uh, sex? And look at uh, Brachas. Gemara Brachas, source 2. Yosef Leah had a daughter and called her What does it mean afterwards? After Leah rendered this din, this judgment. Six Four from the maidservants. That's ten. If if, uh, if this is a boy, my sisters going to only have one. Not even two. The, the concubines each had two, adding up to four. She's going to have less than the concubines. Miyad, Nevcha, Labas. Immediately her fetus was transformed into a female. Vatikra, shma Dina. And that's why it says, Va'achar, after she davened for the switch to be pulled, then she gave birth to a girl whom she named Dina. Now, what are the two motivations to, for to daven this way? Well, three, I guess. Leia had her motivation that her sister not be inferior to concubines. Not a motivation I think that we have contemporarily. But we have two other motivations. One would be to be out the mitzvah Puruvu. The mitzvah Puruvu requires, at least according to Baisila, which is what we paskin, mitzvah Puru is only fulfilled with the with a son and a daughter. Bashami says two boys, we follow Basil that you need a boy and a girl. It applies only to the man. The Allah of Puravu, the obligation of Puravu, applies to the man. So we'll see in a moment. We'll, we'll, We'll get into that. It's a good point. But there's a second motivation, which is gender infertility. People who have one of many gender, and they seek to have the other gender. The question we're going to look at is, what is the appropriateness of trying to influence the gender? What's the appropriateness of trying to influence the gender? So what do you see? You see from the Gemara that we just saw, and you see from the target, and Ben Uziel, it didn't criticize Leia for wanting to switch the gender. It didn't say bestows what you, you get what you get and you don't get upset. It didn't say that. It it seems to uh, endorse the idea of trying to influence the gender. And if you think that's the only way of trying to influence the gender, look at source number three. Tonar says the So the Gemara says a tradition, which is linked to a Pasuk. What's the tradition? This is what the Ibn Ezra was alluding to. If a woman emits seed first, she bears a male. If the man emits seed first, they bear a female. What it means is that um, a woman has certain secretions when there's a certain pleasure... And those secretions, if she uh, experiences the pleasure and thereby the secretions first, it will influence to be able to produce a boy, and if not, then it the, will influence to produce a girl. Now, are these, is this an absolute recommendation? No, it's talking, about, um, it's talking about on the whole. It's a generalization, statistically. So what do you see from this Gemara? We'll, we'll have to explain this Gemara in a moment. But more than anything else, what do you see from this Gemara? The Gemara is giving advice how to influence the gender. So clearly, we don't judge negatively somebody who wants to influence the gender. Someone who comes and says, I don't know, I have six of one gender, and I desperately want the other. Do we say to them... You fool, whatever Hashem gives, He gives, be happy with your lot. Now, of course we say, if you have healthy children, you should be happy, and what a gift and what a blessing. It goes without saying, but I'll say it anyway. If you have healthy children, it's the greatest gift ever, and never take it for granted, and nothing else matters, including the gender. However, that said... People want to be, let to the mitzvah peruvu, or they want a legacy, or they want whatever the case may be. So, do we judge them and say, be happy with what you have because Baruch determines how dare you try to influence the gender? You see from our Gemara, no, that it's perfectly permissible. The Gemara not only is okay, not only sees it as legitimate influencing the gender, the Gemara says, let me give you some advice. Let me tell you how to do it. Now, what is this advice? So, there's a famous book by Dr. Shettles. Dr. Shettles, called How to Choose the Sex of Your Baby. It's debated within medical circles whether there's any legitimacy to this book. Is it hocus-pocus witchcraft? Is it actually based on, on medicine, this Dr. Shettles, the Shettles method? So in his book, he actually quotes this Gemara. Incredible. In his book, he quotes this Gemara. And he talks about the following. On the uh, right-hand column, Dr. Shettles found numerous references dating back into the last century. The alleged influence female orgasm can exert on sex selection. Uh, even the Talmud compiled centuries ago notes a connection between female and the sex of the offspring the termination of sex takes place at the moment of cohabitation the Talmud declares when a woman emits her semen before the man child will be a boy otherwise it will be a girl the man if he wanted a boy was directed therefore to hold back this was interesting in and of itself meshing as it did with the reports of researchers in more recent times so Dr. Shettles is astounded that research today simply endorses what the Talmud knew 2000 years ago and he talks about why that should be it is certainly beyond the scope of our topic I think I'm probably blushing enough already but uh, essentially what he talks about is that these secretions create uh, influence the um, you know the different sperm that carry different chromosomes have different rates have different swimming capacity so whether they will get through where they need to get through to arrive at the destination to create conception um, is influenced by the secretion that the woman contributes. Certain secretions will create an environment that's more favorable to the male sperm to be able to get through. And if that secretion is not there, then the male sperm is more likely to die before he's able to swim to the destination, leaving only the female sperm to get through. So there's tremendous variables, tremendous variables. Timing it with ovulation, Ovulation also influences the uh, determination. Ovulation and secretions and the man's sperm count in terms of the chromosomes, male sperm and female sperm. This is beyond my scope and beyond our scope but what I want to share with you is that the Gemara itself clearly endorses or is okay with influencing gender selection, A, because it gives advice, and B, remarkably, Dr. Shettles and his modern research, which shows this, the question of secretion and the question of the environment and which sperm can can swim the fastest because of the, uh, the, the, the uh, pH balance that's uh, created, all of that, which is only... Uh, discovered recently it says Dr. Shettles has already been it's already been uh, declared 2,000 years ago in the Talmud now today we have more advanced methods today there are more advanced methods and to give you just two of them one of them is called Microsort source number five Microsort is actually just one brand name it's like Kleenex they're tissues Kleenex is just the brand Microsort is the brand but the concept is called FCS Flow Cytometry Separation and the idea is that you can do sperm sorting It's based on the measurable difference in the quantity of genetic material they contain. So the sperm absorbs a dye, attaches to the DNA, and when exposed to a laser light, it fluorescences. And therefore, by spinning the sperm and using a certain kind of uh, filter, you can make two piles. Pile of the male sperm and a pile of the female sperm, and then you get to choose which pile you want to uh, insert into the woman. And if she conceives from that insertion, that injection, then she will hopefully conceive. Now, those piles are not exact. When you have a filter, things always get through the filter. So the piles, this is a this. These statistics are somewhat dated, so the chain might be new statistics today. But a female pregnancy is up to a 95 percent, a 90 percent after sorting. And for a male, the chance is about a 73%. So the boy pile will have a 73% uh, chance. In other words, there's only 73% chance that everything in that pile is boy. There's still a 27, 26% chance that there's girls in the pile. And for the girl pile, it's up to 90% that it's girls. There's a 10% chance you're still going to end up with a boy. So this possibility is imperfect. Depending which gender you're going through, more imperfect, but it certainly will increase your chances. That's one method. Another method, which is much more expensive but is a absolute method, is called PGD, Pre-Implantation genetic diagnosis. PGD coupled with IVF. PGD means you extract, you have a sperm sample from the man, you uh, you um, you uh, take eggs from the uh, from the woman, and uh, now you take the Eggs with the sperm and you fertilize as many of the eggs that you were able to harvest from the woman and you look at what you have. Six, seven, eight fertilized eggs. And then you do a DNA analysis of the fertilized eggs. So now you know which egg is a boy, which egg is a girl, because they've already have a chromosomal determination. So you take whichever fertilized egg that you want, the boy or the girl, and you insert it into the woman through IVF in vitro fertilization. Now, this A is very, very costly. It's not a cheap procedure, IVF, not covered by insurance in Israel it's free in Israel IVF is covered by insurance and if you want to use IVF for sex selection I think it's only after two or three four, I don't remember how many um, you have to have a certain number of one gender and the law in Israel is that the uh, Bituach Lumi, the national insurance will cover IVF to try to get a child for uh, if you have a certain amount of one gender. Is it four? If you have four girls, let's say, then you can do... a total, To get a total of four children. Four IVFs they'll cover. Uh, but I know that they'll also cover for, for gender selection, but only if you have a certain number of one gender and you seek the other. I don't remember what that number is. But in America, it could be very costly. Now, when I say it's, it, it's absolute, it's absolute in that what you insert is the gender, excuse me, you want. What's not absolute is that, you're, is that it will take. IVF doesn't always take, as we know. So those are the uh, two possibilities. One of the questions with this PGD, PGD is primarily used not to select a gender, but is to rid genetic disease. It's an amazing, amazing, I had a rabbi growing up in Tinek who lost multiple children to Tay-Sachs, multiple children to Tay-Sachs. And the whole, he suffered terribly in the community with him, and that would never happen today. We've eliminated Tay Sachs, because even if we determine that both the mother and father are carriers, we simply do not allow them to conceive naturally. They only conceive through P G D. We look at the, at the, uh, at the. Uh, embryo before we insert it into the woman to make sure it's a healthy embryo. So we do IVF. In the lab they look at all the embryos. If any of them are unhealthy we don't insert, we only insert healthy embryos. So you can eliminate genetic diseases because we have the ability to test for them and then by doing PGD only implant the ones that are the ones that are healthy. The, The problem or the question is they call the slippery slope argument. Let's say there's a couple that say we have a boy and a girl but you know what I only want a daughter with blue eyes and blonde hair. I want a son who's going to grow to be over six feet. I want it to be athletic. I want it to have a certain IQ. Will we allow PGD? This is some of the question within the um, within bioethicists are debating the whole slippery slope question. You know, Do you allow this IVF or PGD in order to make choices which are beyond moral choices but personal choices? Not just that you want this gender, but you want this height, this look, this intelligence, this athleticism, this artistic ability, assuming you can test for those things. So, again, as we said, the question halakhically is not whether you're allowed to engage in sex selection. You absolutely are. The question is which method to use, A. And B, if you use one of these methods, are you yotzei? do you indeed fulfill the obligation of pru urvu? Do you fulfill the obligation of procreation? Or since this method took place supernaturally, so to say, I don't mean miraculous, but I mean beyond nature, it wasn't just a natural event, but it requires intervention, do you not fulfill pruravu if fulfilled through intervention? Is it successful? Have they found that those that have done this... Yeah, sure. It's It's always successful. I'm talking about... They want a certain intelligence. Of certain oh, oh, that. Yeah. I don't know. That's a good question. I, I don't know whether through genetic testing you can determine te- intelligence. It's you probably could de- determine certain things like, or if you can't now, they will learn to determine eye color and height and those right. kinds of things. Right. You can check the predominant The, the, the dominant genes within the DNA, yeah. which will. Produced a likely outcome of eye color and hair color and so on. So the kind of questions that we're going to talk about, we only have a limited amount of time left, but are you yotze pur Do you fulfill the mitzvah with I, IUI or IVF? If you do fulfill the mitzvah, maybe it's obligatory. If you have uh, five of six, ten of one gender, maybe halacha mandates that you're obligated to do IVF and PGD to fulfill pur if indeed you fulfill the, met- the mitzvah in that way. How far does the obligation of peruvu go? Would it obligate you to spend $30,000 on IVF to have that other gender? Motzi Zerolavatala, how do you get the sperm in order to test it? Is it a problem of extracting sperm outside of the body? The question of Sakana, for a woman to undergo IVF... There's no actual, it's a very, very tiny percentage, but anytime there's a procedure, there's a level of of, uh, risk and ethical considerations to this question. So let's take a look, and we're going to have to go somewhat quickly through these sources because we have limited time. And I want to refer you, there are many, many articles when I originally prepared this year which was many years ago uh, there's an article by uh, Richard Grazi and there's a doctor and Joel Walowalski, a rabbi came out in 1993 there's a big discussion of it in the encyclopedia by, by uh, Dr. Steinberg Rabbi Dr. Steinberg um, Rabbi Josh Flug our own Rabbi Josh Flug has an article in the RJJ Journal the Journal of Contemporary Halacha there's um, where else did I find of course, Dr. Bleich has articles. Rabbi Yitzchak Breidowitz has an article. There's a lot written on this subject, much more than what I'm going to share. But some of these are some of the key sources in this discussion. So the Mitzvah Puravu, firstly. So the Pasuk in, in Bresha, source 6, Puravu melua sa'aretz v'kivshua. After man is created, God tells him to be fruitful and to multiply. We have a halachic mandate, halachic obligation, continuity. To, be, to not have children is a selfish act. To think that the world ends at you. That the world is about us. Of course, circumstances have to allow. We have to find the right person. God has to bless us with the capacity to have children. But from our perspective, we have to give the greatest effort that we can to have children. That's a mandate. How do you fulfill the mitzvah? Celibacy is also. Awesome. What? Celibacy is also. Awesome. Celibacy, well, celibacy is obligated if you're not married. But, but... Uh, <laughs> but trying to have children is an obligation <laughs> so source number 7 the Gemara and Yavama, the Mishnah and Yavama says how do you fulfill this mitzvah? shnei two boys and how does Basil know that? shnemar and nekeva, bra'am it says God created them, male and female so if we're trying to emulate God the greatest imitation of God is having children God gave birth, so to say, to male and female we give birth to male and female to be in fulfillment of the mitzvah Says the Gemara in source number eight, Chagiga Tesvav. How does one fulfill the mitzvah? Do you fulfill the mitzvah peravu through IVF? So the Gemara didn't have IVF, but the closest the Gemara came was the following: Shalu es benzoma basula sheibra mahu If a virgin becomes pregnant, can she marry a kohen gadol? What's the question? The kohen gadol has to marry a virgin. A regular kohen cannot marry a divorcee or a convert, but a kohen gadol cannot even marry. Uh, can only marry a besula a virgin so the Gemara wants to know can a Kohen Gadol marry a pregnant virgin now you should all be jumping up pregnant virgin it's an oxymoron how can you be a pregnant virgin again we don't believe in that says the Gemara (laughs) so the Gemara says okay maybe I'll say you can get a pregnant virgin (laughs) Shmuel Shmuel everybody has a talent that they like to show off So Shmuel, in Amorah, in the Gemara, had a certain talent. I won't say that he showed off about it, but he had a certain talent. What was Shmuel's talent? He was able to engage in intimacy without breaking a woman's hymen. He was able to engage in intimacy without uh, penetrating her in the sense that she would lose her besulim, her virginity. Okay, so Says the Gemara, that's not what we intend to ask, because that was a rare talent. That's not something that's usual. So how do you come to an example of a pregnant virgin? Says the Gemara, you know how? A woman who goes into the bath, who goes into a pool. Not mixed swimming, God forbid. But she goes into the pool after men were there, and if a man had admitted his seed into the pool, and then somehow she absorbs that seed, she can become pregnant, and nevertheless be a virgin. She will have never had intimacy, and yet she will be, and yet she will be pregnant. By the Gemara, Mo, by the way, Rav Moshe quotes this Gemara in a chuva, where Rav Moshe has a whole discussion about. Um, you know, the question of, of uh, using another man's seed if you're trying to have children. Let's say the man doesn't have a high enough sperm count. So you want to get a sperm donation in order for the woman to conceive. Is there a problem, uh, asks Rav Moshe, of adultery, of having an affair? Moshe says, no. You see that that's only prohibited with an act of intimacy. But to absorb without the act of intimacy doesn't affect the status, as in the case of the pregnant virgin, who remains a virgin. Right? So you see the Gemara talks about this example of this Abra Ba'ambati of becoming pregnant in the bath. So upon this the Beshmual, source number 9 says, Yesh estapik Isha Abra Ba'ambati im im nikra b'no If a woman conceives outside of an act of intimacy, i.e. in the bathtub, or today in a much more high-tech fashion through, through IVF, is, does the man fulfill the mitzvah of And moreover, is this the father? In other words, halachically is a man only declared a father when he is the one who placed the seed directly in the woman. And he's not called a father if the seed arrived at the destination independent of him. Or no, he's called the father as long as genetically it's his material. Says the Bishmuel, I'm not sure. It's a suffix. And he brings Rabbeinu Peretz, who says, chashinin liyachzen, and Lachin Yotzeh Right? He says You have to worry that Yes it is the father And therefore we have to consider That if he has other children To make sure that the result of this Mitzabra Ba'ambati Will not marry his other children Because you can have a, an issue of, of incest so, so here you have an example Of, the, of this exact halacha question of is this the father? So if the father is a Kohen, and the child is produced through IVF, will the child be a Kohen? If the father um, does the father yotze Revu, this is exactly exactly our question. Rabbi Bleich writes in his article in source ten. In 1905, a German court was asked to consider the case of a woman who claimed without her husband's knowledge, she had scooped up fresh semen ejaculated by him on the bedcloths and introduced it into a general tract causing a pregnancy The result in the birth of a baby girl. A trial court in Koblenz ruled that this artificial, whatever that word is, was a legal act. That decision was upheld in 1907 by an appeals court in Cologne. Shortly afterwards, in a second a remarkably similar case, a woman claimed to have discovered freshly ejaculated semen, probably the result of a nocturnal omission, which she inserted. Despite testimony denying pregnancy could have resulted from the act, the appeals court affirmed the legitimacy of the child. Later, the German Supreme Court took a similar position. But you see from Rabbi Blake's article, this is not just some crazy case of the Gemara. Again, medicine will debate the potency of sperm sitting on the bed covers, or within a bathtub, whether it can indeed create, whether it can indeed fertilize, but at least this German court debated this issue, so you see that as recently as the 20th century, this question, this question came up. The Taz in source 11 rejects the proof, the Aruch Liner, Rav Yaakov Etlinger, concludes that one is not Yotzeh the Mitzvah, that if you, and how do you know that? Because if you look at our parsha, Isha Kisazria <speaking in Hebrew> V'Yalda Zachar, if a woman conceives and gives birth. So you see that if the woman conceives and gives birth. We derive many halachas from there. For example, the halacha is that a bris Vyalda Zakhar, then she gives then when is the bris? On the eighth day. So says the say many, says the Halacha, when is it that if she conceives and gives birth, the bris supersedes Shabbos, Once Isha Kisazriya, when she conceived naturally. But and gives birth naturally, by the way let's say she gives birth through caesarean section, a C-section, is the bris of that child docha Shabbos? Absolutely not. A child born through C-section whose eighth day falls on Shabbos or Yontif, the bris is on the ninth day, not the eighth day. Mm -hmm. It only supersedes Shabbos if conception is natural natural and if birth is natural. But if birth is, I don't want to call it non-natural or supernatural, but is not in the natural way, but through a C-section, then it doesn't supersede Shabbos. So Rav Shlomo HaZalman Arbach, and all of these posts say that the same is true for conception. If a baby is conceived through IVF, the bris will not be Docha Shabbos. If a baby is conceived, because that's not Kisazria, that's not natural fertilization conception. So a baby conceived through IVF, the, um, the, uh, the bris, if it fell the eighth day on Shabbos, would not supersede would not supersede Shabbos. Okay, so, the Orach says, you're not Yotzei Puravu, because that's not a natural way of conceiving. Most Pilskims say, you do fulfill the mitzvah. If not of Puravu, they say you fulfill another mitzvah. What's the other mitzvah? Apostol King Yeshayahu Source 15. Yeshayahu Hanavi says, La Sheves yitzara, God says I created the world for it to be inhabit- inhabited this is a secondary mitzvah of La Sheves a secondary mitzvah I have a mitzvah of Puravu which is fulfilled by having a son and a daughter I have a secondary mitzvah of Sheves which is to fill the world continuity and that I fulfill each and every child I have even beyond when I have a boy and a girl so let's say my first two children are a boy and a girl and then I have eight more Whatever gender they are, I have fulfilled revu with my first two children. I continue to fill a mitzvah of La Shabbos with more children. So same most postkim that you uh, fulfill, if not revu but you fulfill at least the mitzvah of La Shabbos if you have a child through, uh, through IVF. Okay, so, again, you see, I brought you, we're going to be out of time, but I brought you all these sources. The Sridayesh, the Mincha Shlomo, or Shlomo Zaman, source 18, writes, Yatsa Bezeh Mitzvahs kish Kishitole isha a woman fulfill, you fulfill Puravu, the husband, when a woman gives birth after IVF, the consensus is that you do fulfill the mitzvah in this way, but this is some of the discussion. Next, if indeed you fulfill the mitzvah, so, if Rav Moshe Rav Shlomo the sridayish are correct, unlike the Aruch Liner, that you do fulfill the mitzvah through IVF, then perhaps you're obligated. Maybe if you have not yet had children, had a boy and a girl, you can have 25 boys. Maybe halacha mandates that you now need to spend 30 grand on IVF to have the girl. So, are you in fact obligated to go to take extraordinary measures in order to fulfill a mitzvah? That's the question. It's a mitzvah. If I couldn't get a lulav without spending thirty thousand dollars, do I have to spend thirty thousand dollars to get Rabbi? Can you indulge, Can I get a few more minutes? I'm running late. I'm running late. So if I have to spend thirty grand to take a Lula, to buy a lulav and esrog, must I? That essentially is the same question. Because if it costs me thirty grand to do PGD to do IVF to have that other gender, am I obligated to do it? That essentially is the question. So if you look at the Meiri in Sanhedrin. The Me'iri in Meseche Sanhedrin Daf Samach Zayin says that we apply the principle uh, from Baba Kama Lo Yevazveiz Adam Yoser Michomesh. The halacha is that in order to avoid alav, to avoid violating a negative prohibition I have to spend all my money in the world all my money to avoid violating a negative prohibition where my life is not threatened if my life is threatened, other than the three cardinal sins of course I give up my life rather than violate the negative prohibition. What's the negative? What? What's, the negative? What's a negative prohibition? Uh, you're not allowed to eat non-kosher. You're not allowed to violate Shabbos. You're not allowed to adulter. adulter You're not allowed to... Well, that will be one of the three cardinal. But in order to not violate a negative prohibition, I have to spend all of my money. But what about a positive mitzvah? To fulfill a positive mitzvah, do I have to spend all my money? The only way to get a kosher Lulavan Esrog it's going to cost me I have to take a mortgage on my house. Must I take a mortgage to fulfill Lulavan Esrog? So the principle of the "Lo says, Lo You don't have to spend more than 20% of your worth, of your savings. That's the most that you have to spend to fulfill a mitzvah. The Ramah codifies this. What? No. No. Says the Yishach Anorach in source 20. Page 5. If you uh, buy a, a uh, esrog, the Ramah says, "Mishaelo esrog shar mitzvah overes." Ain't sarch levazve is alahon rav. You don't, if you don't have access to an esrog, you do not have to spend an exorbitant amount of money. Kamoshah amram levazve is alivazve is yosher michomish afila As the Gemara says, you do not spend more than this amount. Is so, a woman therefore, obligated for no, a woman is exempt from puruvu. Puruvu is only incumbent upon the, upon man. the man. So, Shlomo Zalman has a tshuva in 1958, and he talks about let's say a woman would have to undergo a surgery. A person has to undergo pain in order to fulfill a mitzvah. Must you undergo surgery, endure pain, in order to fulfill a mitzvah? Shlomo Zalman in uh, tshuva k- kuv chav dalad. Tanyana in 1958 says no you're not obligated to perform tachpolas. you're not obligated to perform um, painful surgery in order to fulfill the mitzvah so um, certainly in our situation where it's a suffake if you fulfill the mitzvah we said it's a debate pre While the majority say yes, there are those who say no. So A, it's a suffix. It's not absolutely certain that you fulfill the mitzvah. B, it's not certain that it works. A woman could undergo the painful procedure, could undergo the uh, countless months of shots and treatments in order in anticipation of the IVF and it's still not work. So it's a suffix, it's a doubt whether you go to the mitzvah. It's unclear. It's a doubt whether it will work. It's a painful procedure. And all to perform a positive commandment, the halacha is clear that she is not obligated not obligated and you're not obligated to sustain discomfort in order to fulfill the mitzvah now let's say you don't not obligated but we said it's allowed the question is how is it allowed how is it allowed don't you have to waste seed in order to p- procure it how do you get the husband's sperm in order to be able to uh, use it to fertilize the egg to get the gender you want in order to be able to in order to be able to insert it this prohibition of wasting seed is a very serious one we have it here the uh, the Gemara in Nida, source twenty four, mm-hmm. to waste seed is a capital crime. It doesn't mean the rabbinic court puts you to death, but at the hands of heaven, it's a capital crime. The loss of potential—it's considered murdering a potential life inherent within every within every sperm. <coughs> so it's considered a very very significant. Uh, to waste seed is tantamount to murder. You're, you're taking a life. It's idolatry. You see, this is a very, very, very significant pro- prohibition. So, is there a permissible methodology? So, Ravavadi Yosef in source 25, in Yabia Omer, Rishlamo Igros Moshe, Eben Ezer, the Nishma in source 28, all of these sources essentially all concur that if the reason that you're procuring the sperm is in order to produce a child, that's not called wasting seed. Wasting seed means if a man is um, deriving pleasure but not in the proper way. Wasting seed means if it's not deposited in the proper place. That's called wasting seed. But to extract seed or for the man to um, extract his own seed for the purpose ultimately of fulfilling a mitzvah, be it to test the seed in order to get the sperm count or in order to actually use the seed for the purpose of sperm sorting or IVF, The consensus is that this is not a prohibition. That this is not a uh, prohibition. Um, Some suggest nevertheless that the best way to extract the seed, there are uh, halakhic condoms that have no spermicide in them that have a tiny hole at the end of the condom so that it gathers the seed in a way which doesn't compromise it and yet the tiny hole at the end maintains the possibility of it getting through thereby not calling it wasting seed. So therefore some posts can suggest using that in order so a man would have normal intimacy with his wife and be able to derive the sperm either for the purpose of testing or procreation in that method and many posts can say that if that's not the best method or not a possibility then a man can simply uh, get the seed on his own and as long as it's being used for the purpose of procreation even if they're not obligated to take that extraordinary measure it is a permissible way of extracting the seed so so we saw is that first of all, first of all, the Torah absolutely endorses gender selection. The story of Rachel and Leah, and as well the Gemara's advice that was only confirmed more recently. And we saw Dr. Shettles quoted it in his book about sex selection. The Gemara itself that the Gemara gives you advice how to influence the gender. The Gemara wouldn't give advice if it didn't condone the behavior. The question is, are more advanced technology, are more advanced methods today of either sperm selection? Sperm sorting or of PGD, is it permissible? And if it's permissible, are you obligated? We saw it certainly is permissible. Are you obligated? No, you're not obligated to take those extraordinary measures and to spend that money. And what about how do you do it through getting the sperm? Excuse me, according to almost all the postkim, if the ultimate purpose is to procreate, then it's something which is permissible.